When you look in a mirror, there are things that you see that you like, and there are things you see that you definitely don't like. Maybe the best and the worst part of, about a mirror is that it has to tell the truth. A mirror can only tell the truth. So if you've lost a few pounds, the mirror will tell you. If you've gained a few pounds, the mirror will also tell you that. If you go on vacation and you go to the beach and you come back with a nice tan and you look really relaxed, the mirror will tell you that. If you're up all night with a crying baby, the mirror will tell you that as well. Sometimes when we look in the mirror, it's great. We've got new clothes. You've got a fresh haircut. You're dressed up for something nice. You feel really good about yourself. Other times you look into the mirror and you see depression. You see acne and wrinkles and receding hairlines and age spots, and you go, how did that happen? But we need mirrors because mirrors show us things that we can't see about ourselves. So a mirror will tell you if your clothes don't match. A mirror will tell you if your hair, you got bedhead, your hair looks funny. Imagine if we didn't have mirrors. Imagine shaving your face without a mirror. Imagine putting on makeup without a mirror. We need mirrors to show us things about ourselves that we wouldn't otherwise see, that we don't even know are going on. So you've caught your reflection in a window or a mirror, right? You're walking through a store and you see just a glimpse of yourself and you see your hair's messed up. So you go over and you fix it or you go, oh, I better suck it in. I'm looking a little, uh, you know, kind of slouchy and so I'm going to change that, right? Or if you're like me, you uh, finish your lunch and you flip on your camera on your phone and you check your teeth to make sure you don't have any food stuck in your teeth. It's a modern day mirror. We use technology this way. We need mirrors. They show us things that we can't see for ourselves. So we're jumping into a new series. I think it's going to be an exciting sermon series. It's called Mirror, Mirror. And over the next number of weeks, we're going to hold up a mirror to see what's really going on in our hearts and our minds, what's going on in our lives. And like looking in a mirror, there might be some things that you like, and there might be some things that you don't really like. We've lived this past year in a really unique time, and something that I've noticed is we've gotten really good at looking at everybody else, right? So we've lived through a crazy election and a pandemic, and we have social unrest, and we've gotten really good at analyzing everyone else, at critiquing everyone else, at judging everyone else. Oh, I wonder who that person voted for. Oh, that person won't get vaccinated? We're really good at looking at everybody else. So this series is going to take that and it's going to turn it around. And we're going to spend these next few weeks looking at ourselves and our hearts and just a little time of, of sort of self-reflection to say, God, what's going on in my heart? And God, in his incredible love for us, has given us the perfect mirror for this. It's called the Bible. And when we read the Bible and study the Bible, it works like a mirror. It shows us what's going on inside of us, what's happening in our hearts and what's going on in our lives. So we're going to jump right into it today and hold up the mirror. Luke chapter 8. If you got a Bible with you, go there. Luke chapter 8. If you're joining us online, thanks for tuning in. Glad you're hanging out with us. And if you didn't bring a Bible, I'd love for you to still follow along. So on your phone, you could go to like Bible.com or something like that, 
and look for Luke chapter 8. If you get to Matthew, keep going. If you get to Mark, keep going. Luke chapter 8. And these few verses that we're going to start with today, these are verses that often, if you were just reading your Bible, you might skip over. You might feel like these are unimportant. These are just a transition because they're wedged in between two really famous stories. They might be something you just bypassed, but I want to show you these verses because I think, I hope they might be a mirror for us today. So Luke chapter 8, verse 1, here we go. It says this, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. So slow down for a minute. Jesus is traveling around the Middle East in the first century. And it says that he's proclaiming this message that is the good news of the kingdom of God. What does that mean? We hear that phrase in Christianity a lot, good news, and we hear about the kingdom of God. Do we know what that means? We don't live under a king, but historically many or most people have. And what Jesus is saying, he's announcing there is a new kingdom and there's a new king. In fact, God himself is going to reign as king. And people who have lived under a king or in a kingdom would often think of a king as someone who is oppressive, selfish, someone who first thinks about themselves and building their empire and, and doesn't think about their people. But there's a new way, there's a new kingdom, and there's a new king that anyone can come and be a part of. This kingdom is one of peace and love and goodness and joy. And it's a kingdom where everyone is welcome. It's a kingdom for the sick and the poor. In fact, they're a central part of this kingdom. This is what Jesus is proclaiming, a new kingdom where everything that is broken, everything that is wrong will be made new, will be redeemed and restored. So he's traveling around. He's talking about a new kingdom. He's telling about a new way. Watch this. It says in verse 2, it says the 12, that's his disciples, the 12 were with him. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits. There's Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So Jesus is traveling around. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and his disciples are with him. He's not alone. In fact, Luke, throughout his gospel, all, often describes that Jesus is followed by what he says is a large crowd. And he says that there's a whole bunch. In this case, there's also a whole bunch of women following Jesus. Now there's a bit to unpack here. It's really fascinating because in the first century, rabbis, teachers, didn't teach women. They only taught men. All their students were men. And so just by mentioning that there are women following Jesus, that there are women that are a part of this movement, that are a part of this mission, Luke is trying to tell us something about Jesus, that Jesus welcomes everyone into what he's doing. And not just welcomes people, but he actually elevates people out of the shadows, unexpected people. He's so different from his 
first century contemporaries. He's so different from other teachers. Luke is telling us the admission requirements at the University of Jesus are not like any other place. He's operating on an entirely different platform where anyone is welcome to come and be a part of it. And he's just different than other teachers. And he, Luke says it in such a way, it's almost like it's almost offhanded or, or, or like it's this sort of afterthought that, that he would mention there's women there. But this is a really big deal. And we know about Luke that Luke doesn't waste words. Everything that Luke says is really important. He's a detailed guy. He's Dr. Luke. He's a detailed guy. He speaks into all the details on purpose. And we know that God doesn't waste ink in the Bible. He doesn't just put random stuff in there as filler. So there's something happening here. We're, we're, we're getting this information for a reason. And we actually learn a little bit about some of these women. They're mentioned by name. So we've got Mary Magdalene, we've got Joanna, and we've got Susanna. Now, so interesting. Susanna, we actually don't know anything about her. She's not mentioned anywhere else in scripture. And so you go, well, why would Luke mention her by name? If we don't know who she is, what does it matter? Scholars would say that Susanna is probably someone that Luke's readers, that his hearers knew. She's probably someone of prominence. She is probably someone of considerable wealth. It's a big deal that she's following Jesus, that she would give up what she has or risk what she has to follow this sort of startup ministry. It's a big deal. And so Luke drops her name in here. We get two other people, Mary Magdalene and Joanna. You've probably heard about Mary Magdalene, or maybe you've heard about her from other stories in the Bible. She seems to have been someone who was pretty close to Jesus and the disciples. Now, history has done weird things with Mary Magdalene. It's done a lot of different things. A lot of people in history have claimed that she was a prostitute. She was this prostitute who came and followed Jesus and the disciples. That is not in the Bible. That is something that a religious leader said centuries ago, and it stuck for some reason. And people said, oh yeah, Mary Magdalene, she's a prostitute. Not in the Bible. History's done other weird things. A lot of ancient texts, or a number of ancient texts, not biblical texts, but other texts, said that Mary Magdalene was married to Jesus. If you saw the movie, The Da Vinci Code, I think the story there was that Mary and Jesus actually have children. So history has done lots of things with Mary. Clearly none of that is true. Jesus was not married and Jesus didn't have any kids. But we can say about Mary Magdalene that she's somebody who was close to Jesus and close to the disciples. So Mary was there at the cross when Jesus died. And Mary was the one who went to the garden on Easter morning. She went to mourn at Jesus's grave. She's the one who found that the stone had been rolled back. She's the person that Jesus first appeared to and called her by name. She's somebody associated closely with Jesus. And then we have, we have Joanna. What we know about her is that she's the wife of Chusa, who is apparently someone important in Herod's household, the manager. He's the steward of Herod's household, some high-ranking official. Now, this is pretty interesting because Herod, you know, he, he no likey Jesus, you know, like this is not a good match. And I, I just wonder if Herod finds out that Joanna and Chusa are following Jesus, if Herod finds out that Chusa's paycheck is going to support 
Jesus, who people call the king of the Jews, when Herod's like, no, 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 I'm the king of the Jews. If he finds out that his money is actually going to support Jesus, he's not going to like that. And so you just wonder for Joanna, how dangerous is it to follow Jesus? And you'll understand why that matters in a minute. But listen to their stories. Luke tells us this, they've been cured of diseases. So some of them had diseases and they met Jesus and he heals them. Some of them were cured of evil spirits. Mary apparently is one of them. She is full of evil spirits and Jesus gets the evil spirits out of her. And the word, the phrase, they're evil spirits, the, the, the better, more literal translation is actually something that is harassing her spirit. And so when we read evil spirits, we might go, oh, yeah, that's a thing in the Bible. And we kind of just bypass it. Like it's just routine. But just think about that. She has something that is harassing her spirit. That sounds agonizing to me. We don't know exactly what's going on or what that looked like. In the Bible, there's lots of manifestations of evil spirits. There are some evil spirits that oppress people or possess people that, that cause them to throw themselves on the ground. There are other evil spirits that seem to cause people to hurt themselves, to cut themselves. There are evil spirits that it looks a lot like severe mental illness or other diseases. So I don't know exactly what's going on with Mary, but what I know is her condition's bad. If she has seven evil spirits, her condition was really bad. And Luke says that these women met Jesus. They encountered Jesus and they were miraculously healed by him. So they follow him. But they don't just get up and follow him. Watch this. Go back to the passage. Listen to it again. These women were helping to support them, that's Jesus' ministry, out of their own means. So not only are they following him, but they're actually supporting his ministry. And I think it's probably fair to say that Jesus's ministry was not inexpensive. You've got 13 dudes walking around with nothing to eat and no place to stay. That costs some money to feed these guys, to house these guys. Meanwhile, you're giving away, you're buying food to give to people that are hungry. You're buying clothes to give to people that are needy. This is an expensive machine. This is an expensive operation. And these women are apparently playing a vital role in the financing of this ministry. Why? What would make them do that? Well, Luke tells us, you go back to the passage, Luke tells us it's because of what Jesus had done for them. He cured them of their diseases. He took away the evil spirits that were harassing them. He changed their life, right? And I think, I think what Luke is driving at, what he's trying to capture in the stories of these women is this idea that you can't encounter Jesus and remain the same person. I think that's what Luke is trying to tell us. You can't meet Jesus and experience the love of God and not be changed. I mean, Jesus changed their life. He took away their disease, their illness. He took away the evil spirits. I mean, just imagine, you, you know somebody who is suffering from some disease, or maybe you yourself are suffering from something physically, chronic pain maybe. Maybe you know somebody that has cancer. Maybe you know somebody who is just plagued by, by anxiety. 
And that's a part of reality every day. And you get up in the morning and you're reminded as you get out of bed, you have terrible pain. Imagine one day Jesus comes along and just boom, all better, miraculously just healed. That's what happens for these women. Jesus heals them of their diseases. He cures them. And it changed them on the inside. They encounter Jesus. They experience the love of God. And it's like, bam, in an instant. It's like all of a sudden they can taste food for the first time. And, and the world is in, in color for the first time. And water quenches for the first time. They've ex they experience peace and joy for maybe the first time, certainly in a while. And what happened? It flowed out. It was reflected in how they lived. Jesus changed them from the inside out. They encountered Jesus. They're fundamentally changed, and they cannot be the same. They can't remain on the same path or be the same people. So here's the mirror for me and for you. You ready? Here it is. Many of you have encountered Jesus in your life. Has Jesus changed you? You've experienced the love of God. Has it changed you? Now, maybe there's two parts of this. Maybe there's two layers. Because on the one hand, you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've encountered God. I've experienced the love of Jesus. And he changed me and that he took away my sin. My sin is gone. He died on the cross for my sins. He forgave me. He rescued me from hell and he made me new. Great. When we ask God to forgive us of our sins, that's what happens. You put your trust in Jesus, and he takes away your sins. So it's like, okay, in one sense, yes, he's changed you. But what I'm asking is, has that changed you? Is there an outpouring into your life of what you've experienced? because of Jesus Christ. You met Jesus, you encountered Jesus, the love of God, the grace of God. Has that changed you in the sense of has that flowed out into your life? Are you different? Fundamentally, from the inside out, are you different because you've encountered Jesus? I mean, that's what I've noticed about these women. They encounter Jesus, he changes them, and it changes the way they live. They sacrifice of their own means, their own money to support him. And I think what Luke is saying is you can't truly encounter Jesus and you can't really fully experience the love of God and not be changed and just keep being the exact same person. I think he's saying if following Jesus has not had an actual impact on the way you live, Man, you might need to ask some questions. See, I think you can pray a prayer. I think you can receive the forgiveness of your sins. You go, yes, I'm a sinner, a great sinner. God is, is my Savior. Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. And we can receive the forgiveness of our sins. But a real encounter with Jesus, it fundamentally changes us from the inside out. And it, it it pours out of us in a way that we can't keep going the way we were going. So has Jesus changed you? Or is following Jesus 
Is it just a cure for your sin? Is following Jesus just a healing for your problems? Is it just your ticket out of hell? Is it a box you check? Yeah, 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 I got the fire insurance. In case I die, I don't go to hell. I'm good. Or, or has following Jesus made an impact on the way that you live each day? Think about it for a minute. You wake up in the morning and you look out and you think of all the things that you have to do for the day. Does following Jesus speak into that at all? The way that you live your day, is it at all impacted by the fact that you've encountered the love of God, that you've experienced the grace of the risen Savior? Does that impact the way you live at all? Or is this all just, I got my ticket into heaven punched and I'm just going to accept that, receive that forgiveness of my sins and keep going the way I've been going. Has Jesus changed you? Turn over to James 2 if you've got your Bible. Just a little to the right. Go deeper towards the end. I just want to drill into it just for a minute. James is the little brother of Jesus. He was once a skeptic when Jesus was alive. He's walking around talking about this kingdom of God, this good news. And James is like, okay, big brother, whatever. After Jesus comes back to life, James becomes a follower. He becomes a believer. And what he's going to do is he's going to tell us what it looks like when someone has been changed by Jesus. Mary, Joanna, Susanna, okay, they were changed and they started following Jesus and they started giving freely to support his ministry because of what they had experienced in their encounter with Jesus. James is going to go super practical. What does it look like for me and for you? to be changed by Jesus. And he gives us a description of someone who encounters Jesus and hasn't really been changed. And then he's going to describe someone who encounters Jesus and actually has been changed. So listen to this. Listen to what James says. James 2, starting in verse 14. James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds. James seems to be asking the question, can you receive the forgiveness of God, really have a full encounter, an actual encounter with the love of God, with Jesus Christ, and not be changed and just keep going? He says this, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, well, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs? What good is it? He's basically saying, if someone walks up to you on the street and goes, you know, uh, I'm, I'm starving. My family and I have nothing to eat. And you go, well, God bless you. Stay well fed. If it's the middle of a, of a storm in the winter, the snow piling up everywhere, your neighbor comes over, knocks on the door. Hey, listen, our heat is out. We don't have any wood for the fireplace. And you go, Well, Lord bless you. Stay warm over there. Like, that's stupid. That doesn't help anyone, right? And that's what James is saying. He's going, some of us are speaking about our faith, but are we doing anything with it? Watch this. He says, in the same way, just like those examples, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, I don't like this part, 
is dead, he says. Talks about a faith that is dead, a faith that is not accompanied by action. There's no living out of it. There's no outpouring of it. He describes this faith as dead. That doesn't sound good. It gets worse. Keep going. Verse 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Oh, I don't like that. It's harsh. A faith, James has described, a faith that is dead and useless. When Jesus is your big brother, you're a little scrappy, all right? You just kind of walk right into it. You got issues. And that's what's going on with James. But he's going, man, some of you, he's going, brothers and sisters, some of you are living a faith. Okay, you prayed a prayer. You received the forgiveness of your sins. Your heavenly ticket is punched. You get out of hell free card. You carry that around in your pocket. Fine. What's the result? You received forgiveness of Jesus Christ, but what's the result? Mary, Joanna, Susanna, Jesus healed you. Awesome. What did you do about that? What's the result of that? And basically what James is saying to us, he's saying, is your, is your faith, is it just lip service? You can quote a bunch of Bible verses. Cool. I mean, that's good. But does it change the way you live? You've encountered the love of God. Are you a different boss? Are you a different wife? Are you a different friend? Are you a different dad? Are you a different grandfather? Because you've experienced the love of God, because you've encountered Jesus? Or is this just a cure for your sins? Is that it? It's just to get out of hell. James calls that faith dead and useless. And while it might sound like James is coming in pretty heavy. It sounds like he's coming in and he's condemning us. He's beating us down or he's adding burden onto us. He's actually not. He's going, my friends, there's a better way. There's more for you than just check the box and go, oh yeah, Christian. Oh yeah, Jesus. It's not just that. It's so much more than that. He's like, there's a new way. There's a better way where you can fully experience God, you can live and love like Jesus because you've been touched by Jesus. There's more for you. Watch this. He says this in verse 21. He says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete or was evidenced by what he did. James goes, yeah, there's an option to have a faith that is dead and useless, or there's another option. And that's a faith of action. That's a faith that is active. Abraham believed and trust God, trusted God, and the Bible says that it was counted to him as righteousness. 
But James says his faith was evidence. It was made complete by what he did, by how he lived it out, that he actually trusted God even with his own son. It wasn't just like, yeah, God, I trust you. Yeah, God, I believe you're up there. It's like, no, I'm going to go and live that out by trusting you, Lord. It was an active faith. It seems to be what these women in Luke were exhibiting was an active faith because they'd met Jesus, they'd encountered Jesus, they went to work to live and love like him, not out of burden, not because Jesus demanded it, not because Jesus said, I'll forgive you, I'll I'll, I'll cure you of your illness if you will do these things, not at all. They had experienced, they had actually encountered Jesus and it was more than just check the box, my sins are forgiven. Now they want to live and love like Jesus. They wanted to advance his kingdom. The effect of God's grace showed up in their lives. Does it show up in yours? Does the encounter that you've had with Jesus permeate into your life. The design is that following Jesus would impact every corner of your life. That following Jesus would have something to say about how you talk to people, how you run your business, how you parent, how you pay your taxes, how you make decisions, how you set priorities. That all of that would be impacted by, how, by the fact that you have encountered Jesus. So stand in front of the mirror with me for just a minute. You look into the mirror, you might like some of what you see, you might not like some of what you see. Has Jesus changed you? You've encountered Jesus. Has he changed you? Some of you have never encountered Jesus. You've never encountered the love of God. Here's who Jesus is. He's the living God. He died on a cross for our sins. He rose from the dead to defeat death. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's raised from the dead, that God forgives all your sins, past, present, and future. And he starts to change you from the inside out to make you into the person that God designed you to be. For so many of us, we've encountered Jesus. We've experienced the love of God. Has it changed you? going to get you out of here. Just one more thing. I want to give you something to chew on this week as you think about all this. Really want to invite you to keep hanging out with us for the next few weeks as we hold up the mirror. Just sort of scratching the surface this morning. Just a quick thought about useless and dead faith or active faith. Because I think all of us would go, I want an active faith. What does that look like? Well, an active faith is just that. It's one that's active. Meaning, if your faith is dead and useless... If it feels that way, it might be that you need to get moving. A friend of mine, a woman in our church, was telling me recently about how she's jumping in to serve in a prison ministry. I was like, okay, that's gutsy. All right, I like that. Many of you serve the world in incredible ways. Many of you serve here inside the walls of Faith Church. You serve in guest services, faith kids, faith students, all over the place, big ways, small ways. You're living an active faith and it feels active. If your faith feels dead and useless, if you can't point to things in your life and go, that is a result of encountering Jesus. That is the outpouring of experiencing God's love. 
Can I challenge you that maybe it's time to get moving? You know, we have it in our mind that, okay, once I feel close to Jesus, then I'll know exactly what I'm supposed to go and do, and then I'll do it. Is it possible that we have that backwards and what we really need to do is start loving and living like Jesus? And when we do, we'll start to see him at work all around us. My encouragement to you, if Christianity has felt boring, if your faith has felt dead and useless, an active faith is just that. It's active. So you might need to like look up Look around. See the people that God has put in front of you in your path to serve, to love. And maybe it's as simple as a coworker who they just look like they're having a bad day and you're able to say, hey, can I pray for you? And maybe that sounds terrifying to you, but it's just something to get us moving. That's what I see in these women in Luke 8. They're active. They're a part of what God is, is doing. You say he's changed you. But has he changed you? Over the next couple of weeks, I just want you to stay tuned. Let's keep talking about this. Let's keep holding up the mirror. Let's ask God to show us the spots in our hearts that maybe we can't see ourselves. We need to look in the mirror to see them. And let's watch as he leads us in a new way in his way. Would you pray with me? King David writes in the Psalms, search me. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Show me any evil and ugly, grievous ways in me. And lead me in a new way in the way everlasting, God, you have changed our lives. Maybe you haven't healed us of every disease or cured us of everything in, in our lives, but you've changed us radically. You've made us new. You've forgiven our sins when we call upon you through Jesus Christ. But God, the design is that that's not the end of the road, right? It's, it's that it comes out of us, pours out of us. God, I hate that when I look in the mirror, I have moments where my faith looks, oh, I hate this phrase, dead and useless. I don't want to live a life where my faith could be described as useless. God, help us. Help us to look up, to see people that we can love and serve. Help us to see ways that we can live and love like Jesus. Help us to be not concerned by messing things up, but to boldly love people, to walk into messy situations with people, to love them and serve them. God, for some of us where, where, where our faith journey, where Christianity has felt boring, help us to get moving, to get off the bench, to get in the game. We don't have all the answers, but we want to love people. We 
We believe that you've changed us, and so we want to live a different kind of life, one that looks like the life Jesus lived. So God, help us. Show us a new way. Lead us and help us to follow. Through Christ I pray. Amen.